0: Welcome to the Millennial Reset Podcast, stories of everyday millennials that are redefining success and happiness, those that have decided to face those subconscious limiting beliefs head on and take the path less traveled to hit reset, stories that inspire you to take the leap to pursue the passions, dreams, and goals of your inner child and not the expectations of society. If you're new here, welcome. You found your people. I'm your host, Peter Goose, burnt-out millennial turned human design and mindset coach, and it's now my mission to create a space to have the conversations out loud around millennial burnout and mindset, and inspire and empower my fellow millennial besties to decondition from the programs that keep so many of us stuck, and rediscover your most authentic identity. Or in other words, the Millennial Reset. And I'm so glad you're here. Hey, besties, welcome to another episode of the Millennial Reset. You know, it seems to me that, you know, as millennials, so many of us get to that place in our 30s, maybe even like late 20s or early 40s, where we crave change. We crave a different career path or maybe to just try something new that's more creative. But I'll tell you from my own experience, and this is going to ring true maybe for a lot of you as you hear from my guests today of the three big subconscious beliefs that tend to help keep us stuck and held back. And it's all based on how we were raised, right? Number one is it's too late to make a change because you're now in your 30s and you're already halfway through your career path. Stick to what works, right? Number two, I think, is it's way too different from my previous career or it's way too different from what I went to college for. And number three, is this whole belief, I think, that keeps us so stuck that we have to stick to one thing. We have to check off that box of what career we're going to choose after college and then stick to that for the rest of our life. And it goes without saying that these beliefs keep us stuck. They keep us stuck on the path of hustling and trying to continually prove our worth in a career path that we have outgrown. But my guest today, Elspeth, has challenged those beliefs and she is over here creating a new path forward and uh, she says it best she says I've experienced more success in the past 15 months than the past 15 years. So Elspeth welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being part of the Millennial Reset Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I I said it to you before we start recording but I'm loving what you're doing because I think there are many conversations that need to be had around this and it's you're starting that ball rolling for so many people needing to take a look at what they're feeling around this and I Mm -hmm. think I've noticed it in so many of my friends so and I think also one thing to note that I think is very funny my partner sent me one of your videos last week (laughs) without even realizing that we were then recording together this week so your name is out there and it is
0: fantastic to see we were talking before this, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't think a year ago that I'd be going international. <laughs> Elspeth lives uh, in London area, right? Elspeth, that's the Yes, yeah, so I'm like Southwest
1: Chile. London, yeah.
0: Very cool. So yeah, I'm international.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm you know. are. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, Elspeth, I absolutely love your story because, you know, we were even talking before we jumped on here. It's almost like you've kind of gone through like two different resets in your life. And so let's actually start by going way back in time here, 16 years old, and you decided that instead of taking the traditional path that our parents taught us that was going to, you know, promise us success and happiness and joy, you decided to take a little bit of an alternative path. So tell the viewers a little bit about what that path was for you at such a young age and how you kind of discovered that for yourself.
1: Okay. So yeah, when I was about 16, I went off to college which in England is yeah 16 17 years old so your our university is your college if i'm correct
0: wait i didn't know that really yeah well wow. so
1: like wow. you do school up to 16 then you do 17 and 18 at college and then you do whatever age at university so you, so i did i actually went to three universities and dropped out of two so i've technically reset a million times but here we are We're 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 going back. So 16 years old, went off to college after school and you do A-levels. So I had to pick some for my timetable and I basically picked photography just to fill up space because I was like, okay, the teacher looks kind of cool. I don't really know what I want to do. I had a sister who was going off to I think she'd already been to Oxford and she was doing like classics and going to become a barrister. And my brother was going down like the tech route. So everyone was very not necessarily corporate based. We're very kind of traditional. Like we're going to go and work in offices, and we're going to go and graft away and do all these things. And I was always very creative and mm-hmm. vaguely sporty, but like I didn't come from a sporty family, so there was no encouragement for the support, mm. nor really, nor really the creativity. And so I fell into the creative side because of the teachers that were in my life who were inspiring. Yeah. Um. and yeah so when I was 16 I took this to fill up space in my timetable I completely fell in love with photography and the route I decided to go down was a freelance route so I went self-employed with it even from the age of 16 I started working alongside studying I like I said then after went off to university to go and study it but the first university I went to I did not read the course description and it was fashion with photography and it turned out it was two-thirds fashion one-third photography
2: oh gosh
1: uh, yeah I ended up drawing pictures of coats for like three months and I was like (laughs) this is not for me I'm going home so that was (laughs) my first proper experience there was so that I would have been about I think 18 19 when that I dropped out of that first university and that was like one of the many resets where I'd started to pull at things where I was not necessarily doing what the norm was so to go to university five hours away from home last three months quit it all and go home and start again that was that was me my first proper experience of people sort of looking at me going hang on a minute what's she doing here and you can feel all eyes on you yeah And, and so yeah so that I think that was where the there were two things at play there one was my first understanding of Okay, this world seems to want me to go in one direction, but that's mm-hmm. not right for me. And then the other was getting that taste of, actually, I can do it a bit different, and I'm fine.
0: Yeah, and that's what's so fascinating about your story is like, you you challenged the beliefs before challenging beliefs was cool. <laughs> um, I think
1: that, yeah, when it was still scary.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because you took that alternative path even at that time to go freelance instead of, you know, checking off the boxes uh, that our parents taught us about. And what was like some of the pushback? What were some of the narratives that not only others were telling you at that time, but also may have become subconsciously embedded in yourself as well?
1: So the one that I will never, ever forget was the relentless phrase, why don't you get a real job? Mm. Many times. And I'll be fortunate in the sense that I'll say I'm I am fortunate in the sense that my my dad was self-employed. And so he but he ran like a telecommunications company. So it was very it was very like still kind of corporate-esque. And he yeah. did like accountancy before that. So he was he was mildly supportive of it in a way that he wanted me to Do what I wanted, but still wanted me to go down that traditional route. And then it would—it was my mom saying um, and my brother saying, "Why don't you go and get a real job?" And Mm. so to hear that from your own kind of immediate family unit—that is them—that really rocks your foundations because as in every everyone in the world will have gone through something at some point where their family won't necessarily agree with what they're doing because everybody becomes their own person and goes down their own path. Mm -hmm. And it's that first taste of okay. I've got to back myself here. Yeah. And hope that it goes well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at least for me, part of the realization after leaving the, you know, full-time working corporate world or whatever was, you know, again, all those beliefs that pop up that tell us that, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. It's not safe and so on and so forth. And it took me so long to be able to work through some of that, um, some of those other voices of, you know, my parents and society telling me that I should just take the safe route. But to be able to challenge those beliefs at such a young age too is, and to be able to really at that, because for me, at least what it really came down to was realizing that I had to be reparented. And the only person that was going to reparent me was me. And so to be able to do that at like 16, 17 years old, like, whoa, girl.
1: So don't get something. me wrong. <laughs> well, there, do you know what? There were um, some really funny things when I was a kid where I remember when I was 11 years old, we'd gone to my aunt's funeral. That is not the funny bit. I realize I'm aware I've started that in a really weird way. Um, and my grand, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I was like, this is not funny funeral. Anyway, um, my grand turned around to me and said, What are you going to do at university? And I was like, I don't know. I've only just left primary school. And she didn't, and bear in mind, primary school, I was, yeah, so I was like 11 or 12.
2: Yeah.
1: And university, obviously, you start when you're like 20
2: yeah.
1: and, or like 18. Um, and she didn't talk to me for two days because wow. she was just like, how dare you not know what you want to do for the rest of your life and commit to an entire university degree at the age of 11.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and
1: it was moments like that, that even as a child, I was pushing back, sort of going, what, what? What is mm-hmm. wrong with you? All? And I feel like there have been so many moments across my entire lifespan where I've sat there and gone, "What these people are doing doesn't make sense." Because like it's like I can see people's happiness, and it's like there's a like an aura around them yep. that I can see that they're sad, yeah. and. I've always sort of questioned and pulled stuff apart. Even when I was a kid, I'd sort of, I remember my dad saying when I was about four, I sat in the back of the car and I was like, well, everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, first of all, what a <laughs> precocious little kid. <laughs> but, se- but Secondly, there's always, even when I look back, there were just so many moments where I was pulling stuff apart and trying to process and understand what the point in things were. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've never, ever, and, don't, and I don't think I ever will understand why people just go and do a job and they never wonder what more there
0: could be yeah
1: but yeah, I, guess, I mean sorry yeah. you go
0: no i think i think it's such a great point that like you know i think i guess it's understandable from like the boomer even like generational gen x perspective of like they were so fearful of change because there weren't a whole lot of options out there for them at the time that that then got projected upon to us in a world that has since done a 180 where the options are limitless now, like you can do whatever you want on social media else. But then I were talking about this a little bit earlier and we'll dive into this of like, even with photography, like everybody on Instagram is now a photographer, but you know, that wouldn't have been the case 20, 30 years ago before the internet and the information over, you know, information boom. But then it's like these, these older generations then kind of project that belief where it's like, Yes, I understand that change might have been so fearful for you, but don't project that onto me. And yet there it is living subconsciously in the back of our minds as a very quiet narrative that shows up every time that we try to go out there and make a change. That voice of our auntie then pops up that says, "Mm, what do you mean you don't know what you're going to be doing at university, right?
1: Honestly, (sighs) it is. It It is insane. Like, like you said about the voices, like I've been working with my therapist recently on unpicking whose voice is actually in my head and whether it's Ooh, even yeah. mine. And yep. there've been so many different things that I've noticed, like you said, from that narrative where people have really pushed their opinions onto us. Yeah. Um, and And that boomer generation in particular, I think... Because they were so much less looking introspectively. And we've almost gone too far the other way as millennials when I have to rein it back in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But we, from how I view the world now, I've realized that I'm very much a mirror for other people. Mm. And so even as a child, I provoked fear when I would ask these questions. And that's why I would often be met with a combination of either jealousy or resentment or bitterness or anger.
2: Mm. Because
1: i'd be asking grown adults like oh why are you doing this why can't i do this and they wouldn't have an answer because if they had the answer they had to look internally to realize that they had opportunities that they didn't take
0: yeah it's a big one
1: (laughs) (laughs) but do you see what i mean and that's why so many of us were shut down and pushed down these same pathways because if we go down the same pathways we validate for them that it's that their lives were a success Mm. And, that, and that and that they completed. They did the tick box. They got yeah. the house, the car. They had the two point four children. They got the dog. Like they they got the mortgage. They did all the right things. Yeah. And there was no other path to do a right thing. That's the main one.
2: Yeah.
1: And the second, we people like you and me start going, hmm, I could probably do something different.
2: Yeah.
1: Then that makes them think about their own lives, and I think that's what I've noticed as I've got older and more comfortable in my decision making when i was younger i i might have looked like i was like you said challenging those beliefs and i was yeah but there was so much shame and guilt and fear laced into mu- into me as a person around that because i constantly felt like i was doing something wrong yeah and that i was um in putting myself in an unstable position and that mm-hmm. i was unsafe and all these things whereas now i'm just kind of like ah okay I see what's happening. I'm just provoking your fear. That's not my fear.
0: Right. It's like, it's that awareness that it's like, oh yeah, I can actually create my own checklist. I don't actually have to follow this like antiquated checklist that I got from my parents and society in the eighties and nineties. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, gosh, we haven't even touched the iceberg yet either. (laughs) Like your story is just so good. It's like, you've made other changes as well, but let's stick with the photography here for just a moment because one of the things that we talked about and we just talked about it a second ago was how that, you know, you, you took the leap, the first leap at least by saying, you know, screw the status quo, screw the checklist that everybody else gave me. I'm going to go out here and do my own thing with freelance photography. But what was it then that then um, made you realize that you were hitting the brick wall? even though you had took the path, the alternative path, even though that you had pursued the passions, you still eventually hit that brick wall. And I think a lot of this has to do with this whole idea of the competition and how the competition changed. But talk us through a little bit about like what that, you know, slow burn or sudden moment was for you of like, oh shit, I am burnt the fuck out.
1: So when I first came to photography, it was around when my dad was first diagnosed with cancer. And I was like I said, 16, 17. It was something that I learned predominantly in an analog sense so I'd be physically in dark rooms I'd be creating I'd be developing stuff myself I'd be using film cameras and so it it was seen as a real art and it was seen as a skill and something that people really wanted to pay you for and and you'd create portfolios and it would be all about your actual talent and Mm -hmm. I remember even back then so I launched my first business off MySpace and oh wow yeah and I remember but Even back then, I deliberately put no pictures of myself on there because it was seen as unprofessional to put your own face on a business. Huh. And so it wasn't until, so like if you look at kind of the landscape of how it went, it started to go, and I don't know if you remember this, but about, probably about, when I was about 20, so 13 years ago, um, Facebook started doing a thing where they started shutting down business profiles and turning them into pages so you had to pay to use them so you know Mm. how we see business pages now rather than you wouldn't necessarily see like a personal profile dressed up as a business because essentially they started finding them all and turning them into pages
2: oh
0: yeah
1: to make it more of a lucrative thing so obviously facebook used to just be a university college student
0: platform.
1: anyway so i originally from went from myspace to facebook had Because it was before they had pages. So I had this profile, they started shutting them down. So I merged my business and my personal Facebook. And the difference in suddenly how I was treated was fascinating Hmm. because people suddenly wanted to invest in a journey and they wanted to invest in a person and they liked their element of seeing. Me and what I was doing, and being part of my story. So, even just seeing that shift over the sake of what four years, four or five years, was really interesting. So, things had already started to shift. I'd started to kind of share work out on social media, and and that's obviously how then my photography business started to build because that was a free way of advertising, a free way of networking. Mm -hmm. And then Uh, cut forward a little bit further when I was 23 I was in my final year of university so even though I was going an unconventional route I still did the conventional route at the same time almost to be like look I've still got this so you can all leave me alone (laughs) doing that bit but I'm Uh just also going to do this bit so in my final year of my degree when I was 23 so 2013 mm-hmm. um my dad passed away like two months before I uh, must have finished my degree and I did oh. end up finishing it so uh, but even that shows like we were just had it so drummed into us that yeah it's I remember the week after my dad died I did 13 photo shoots oh
2: my like, goodness
1: I like that to me is complete insanity because I mm-hmm. would if that was my child or a friend of mine i'd be saying how about we sit down and process <laughs> yeah yeah but instead it was so drummed into us wasn't it to be let's be yeah. productive busy this is how we cope with things we can't let the ball drop you've got to keep going mm. and so there was this element of the second you stop you're not relevant anymore
2: yeah and Ooh. so it's
1: cl- clinging to keep that going despite the fact that my whole world was falling apart um and then about Two or three months after that, I um, ended up. The uh, lease on my flat was running out, and mm-hmm. I didn't have any more money left, and everything was kind of falling away from underneath me. And I became estranged from my immediate family. And like I said, I'd, I'd lost my dad, so I ended up in this period of homelessness and all this craziness. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, I had friends' families who took me in. And during that time, I had a so probably about six months where I was severely depressed. And I had yeah. two options. I could go back down that kind of corporate route and I could pick myself up and sort things out. Or I could, I, I, I sat there and I was like, I've got, I've literally got nothing to lose. So if yeah. I throw myself all in, I can see where this goes. And there was also one main moment where, do you know what the job center is in uh-uh. England? So if you don't have a job and you go on benefits, which is like your government. Um,
0: yeah, unemployment.
1: Benefits, yeah, you're unemployment. There's a thing called the job centre, which you kind of have to go to to check in. And I remember I went down there and I sat there and I was like, I can't cope. I've i have got nothing coming in. I don't know what to do. And I, I cried in front of her and she just said, you're not fit to work. And just oh said, yeah, and I was like, OK, good. So everything was completely falling apart. Um, and I thought, right, what have I got left to lose? I'll try this photography career like properly full blown this time. So I went via the Prince's Trust, which is an... that Prince Charles now King Charles set up in the 80s to help young people into business set -hmm. set up my first business properly and that's when things started to really take off in the sense that I said like people really enjoyed being part of the journey like I remember there was a guy that followed me who paid for all of my business plans to be printed up for me so I could take it to my presentation and I'd never met him and there were just suddenly all of these people wanting to help me and I was like okay this is amazing And so that was incredible. That sort of 20, I'd say 2013 to 2016 was a really amazing transitional time where photography was really still seen as valuable. And it was just before all the iPhone cameras started to get really good. And then suddenly Instagram started to be currency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so then suddenly I'd be, and my main specialism was uh, fashion and beauty photography, which became suddenly you got your brands sending direct to influencers all influencers uh, calling themselves photographers and I'm like I've got a degree I've worked (laughs) really hard and because I was also still on that narrative of if you've got a degree you're worth more Mm. so it was that kind of like you obviously know whereas I learned nothing on that there's self-taught photographers that will be far better than I am but we still had that millennial drive of qualifications we've got to get them all
0: Yeah. Ooh, that's a big one. Like, yeah, you're so right. It's like this fact that like, there's that maybe unconscious belief that lives back there that says, well, so-and-so that's over here, that's got a hundred and some thousand followers or whatever, isn't as good as me because I've got the degree behind me. And it's like, And I
1: was a, I was a prisoner of that thinking as well. Cause I was like, yeah. well, I don't need it. but in the same way you've now got the other side where people are now like, well, oh, I've got this many followers. So I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of the same beast in a different form.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just another example, right, of like how yeah. much our world has done a 180 since growing up and like we're still operating on the same set of beliefs from the 90s and early 2000s that I don't know how well they're serving us anymore, especially in the entrepreneurship and uh, career uh, realm of things. Um So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. I mean, so you've, this has been what the last several years for you of your dad passing away and um, all of these other different things happening in your life, but you still held tight to the hustle. You still held tight to the belief that I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And the real moment or the next moment, however you want to look at it for you was like, so for so many of us, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that of what were the awarenesses, what were the ahas, what were the realizations that came to you through some of that, you know, I guess, downtime of the pandemic and how that shifted your path.
1: So there were a couple of things that I can really pinpoint in the start. So one I'd already in 2016, I'd set up a side company of an illustration business as well. So Mm -hmm. technically I had two, um, two forms of income already. And then I'd started to do a bit of content creation stuff. So I sort of had three forms of income trickling around. And a lot of the time I'd had people saying to me, oh, you you should only have one, one source of income. That's much better for you. It's much more sensible. And then suddenly the pandemic kicks in and obviously no one could be a photographer. You couldn't go anywhere. Mm But illustration i could shuffle to the forefront and i could suddenly start doing my illustration stuff yeah so that was the first thing that i noticed was that actually 15 what 15 years and i was finally validated that having multiple streams of income was good for me and it Mm. wasn't that i was a failure and it was actually just that i was working differently but no one was to know that there was going to be a pandemic yeah and i'm like fine so this is at least proving something right for me
2: uh-huh. <laughs> but,
1: um but then again that's still that taking away in the back of your mind of this is proving something right like i'm still caring so much yeah. about proving my decision to be right because of what we would we were taught was it was wrong mm-hmm. and then the other thing was prior to that i'd already been unhappy as a photographer for years fighting against that grind and like I said people constantly asking what your following is and not really caring about what your skill level was like it was much more about who you were yeah
2: um
1: and then as soon as the pandemic hit and I couldn't work Mm
0: -hmm. it was the
1: biggest sense of relief because I didn't have to be the one that said I was letting go of that career Mm. So it was like, it took away the responsibility of me feeling like a failure because we've well, been told our whole lives that we're supposed to only have one career and that's that. And yeah. the other element of that was, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but when you've got sort of like gifted and talented kids who have found what they want to do for when they're yeah. 16, people put you on such a pedestal.
2: Oh my God. Yeah.
1: And there's so it's like a double whammy of pressure. Not only is it Oh my God! You cannot go and do something completely different with your life because you won't have all these years of experience to prove to your yeah. next employer. But it's also, yeah, it's also that. But you, you've done this since you were sixteen. How can, how can you not keep doing it?
0: Oh my gosh! I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. It's so weird. It's like, because um, you know, in, in elementary school, I went to the gifted and talented classes, See? and <laughs> yeah. And it was because we we got into gifted and talented because we got really good grades or we were looked at as like these like model students or whatever. And even in elementary school, looking back on it now, it's like, how much did we pressure ourselves even at that point in time to say, well, man, I've got to get straight A's because if I don't, then I'm not going to be gifted and talented. And I wonder how much of that for all of us G&T kids in the 90s has carried over into adulthood where not only has society kind of put us on this pedestal to say, well, you are gifted and talented. You should be doing more. You should be, you know, the, the hero out there. But how much of that pressure are we putting on ourselves as well to say, well, I had to prove my worth back then, so I have to continue to prove my worth if I'm going to be looked at as somebody that's quote unquote important or that, you know, proves my value to others.
1: Woo! Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, and it's so interesting that you were then put in that position as well, because it shows that we actually didn't really know any different because yeah. we'd always just been applauded for naturally being good at stuff. Yeah. And whilst it's amazing to naturally be good at something like there gets to a point where you're suddenly not naturally good at it and you have to learn more and you have mm-hmm. to graft hard. And so it's like a double whammy of pressure because people yeah, you you then end up with that. And it goes back to what we were saying about whose voice is it? Yeah. Because then we've internalized mm-hmm. that societal voice of, but you've always been gifted and talented. If you drop the ball now, what are you?
0: Oh yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I think, yeah. So that's kind of where that had got to, got me to, allowing me to let go of something that I never thought I would give myself permission to because yeah. it would feel humiliating to let go of it. Right. And I feel like it would it would prove everybody right that said to me that I should have just got a real job.
2: Mm -hmm. And also,
1: I mean, there's the age old like starving artist failure of this, blah, blah, blah. And I think I was so caught up on not looking like a failure that I was just slogging away at this thing, even though I was starting to make less and less and less money and I was so miserable and I was working every hour God sent for no money. And people were getting people, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the terms like working for exposure where people will reach out and say, oh, can you, can you do this job for me? We've got loads of followers, we'll we'll promote you. And I'm like, that doesn't work to pay my bills.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, so
1: I got to that point. And then prior to that, pre-pandemic, I'd been getting more and more into fitness. I'd got into yoga to really help slow myself down. And then that led on to weightlifting because I wanted to build up strength to be better at yoga which then eventually led to boxing Mm -hmm. and so when the pandemic kicked in and we had suddenly had nothing to do and we're all sat in our houses obviously we still got that ingrained like we have to keep hustling yeah and so I think I lasted about yeah about two months about a month and a half maybe before I was like right I need to study for my PT qualification now so we've got whilst it's amazing I'm doing this reset it's still that old narrative of You've got to get a qualification. You've got to keep yeah. moving. You've got to do something. Right. And so that's yeah, that's about where we got to around the pandemic. But yeah. So slog away.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean this eventually. So this is this is kind of the big reset moment, or the the one of the big last ones, at least is making that jump and being able to break through that belief and that narrative that tells us, well, you've already picked your profession, stick to what you picked, you know, 20 some years ago, versus being able to truly say to yourself, okay, there's something more for me, there's a different path that I see for myself, how do I get there? And for you, what you what I love that you talked about is this whole idea of what it takes to be able to Not only let part of your identity go, but then what do you do when that part of your identity no longer exists? And I know this, you know, I resonate so much with that because it's like, that was a big part for me when I left my full-time job is I, I knew I wanted to do something in the coaching or personal development realm, but I didn't really have it finger pointed yet of like exactly what I was going to do, but I wasn't also, I was no longer working 40 hours for somebody else. And it was like, oh my gosh, who am I right now? I'm no longer my previous job. I'm not yet my future career path. I'm just kind of in this like weird in-between space of two different identities. So talk to us a little bit about what that journey was like for you of like, what was the journey of letting go of one identity so that you could begin to not just pursue, but to create the new identity?
1: So there is one thing that I will forever remember. And I had a life coach for a handful of sessions and she was new to life coaching and she was using me as like a Guinea pig for it. And I was just like, sure. Like let's see what happens. Yeah. And I have a lot of, I have a large history of, like I said, childhood trauma, estrangement, grief. There's a lot happening there that always meant that I was really afraid of goal setting. Mm. And so when I was in this in-between stage, I started doing these sessions with her and she was just really trying to force me to goal set. And it just wouldn't work. My brain would couldn't cope with it because yeah. I'd gone so far against the beliefs that had been pushed at us by our parents and society in the 90s that my m- my whole thing for a good year or so was, well, if I don't set any goals, then I'm fine. I can't fail at anything. Yeah. And what I realized there was I was actually so afraid of committing to anything. Because it always felt like as soon as we committed to something, like I said, we still had it there, that you have to then do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so to unpick and peel away those layers to realize, actually, I can just try stuff. And if the thing doesn't work, then I move on to the next thing. And I keep just trying stuff. And I realized that the more things that I tried in terms of whether it was getting my PT qualification or going in, I deliberately, as the world started to pick up, I deliberately Went and got a job in a just on a gym floor, just it's very simple, nothing crazy. It was still on a self employed basis, so I could work it around my photography still. So everything was still kind of overlapping. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: I wanted something where I could start from the bottom with no expectations of myself. And I'd got in hindsight with the photography, I'd really got myself into such a state of ego with it where I could. I didn't ever want to learn any any more to it. Mm, I thought I knew everything and that I was gonna be the best and I was gonna do all these things. Whereas now I can I can use everything from my previous careers, put it into this new one. And I am loving it because my ego, everyone's got an ego, like we can't say that we don't have one, but I'm not clouded in that, oh, you have to be the best and you've and you've got to be in competition with this person and this person. And I distinctly remember my the latest job that i interviewed for i went in and i started to change my style of interviewing with this new career as well and this also blew my mind because obviously hmm. prior to that the other jobs that i'd had were like in waitressing and retail and whatever when i was younger yeah so it wasn't it was and it, and do you remember this when we we're in the 90s as well it was very much or like noughties it was very much you have to prove yourself in every interview even if you don't want the job
2: oh, you yeah are
1: just you you don't care about what they think of you as uh, sorry what you think of them, you're so deeply obsessed with what they are thinking of you. Yeah. You haven't taken any second to consider whether you even like that job. Oh or my that
0: God. Yes, 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 yes. It was like, I remember when I first graduated from uh, college and I think part of it too, was like uh, I graduated like right around the great recession here in the U S and part of it was just like, okay, I don't really want this job, but I just, it, it went back to the, the whole concept of needing to prove my worth. Yeah. Even if I get this offer, I'm going to say maybe no to it, but I want to see if I get the offer just so that they can see how important I am or prove to myself at least that I do, in fact, uh, hold value for somebody else. You're yeah. so right.
1: And it's so interesting because I think I'm even impressed that you had the ability to consider that you could say no at the end yeah. because everyone else including myself when I was younger, I would interview for something. And if somebody had me, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so flattered. I'm going to take this. Yeah, I Like, I can't say no to them because what if I never get another job again? So, yeah. <laughs> and there's all that constant fear. There's just, everything is laced with so much fear. Anyway, so I changed my interviewing style. And one of the things, my therapist who I've been working with for a little while now, she said to me that I'm missing a fundamental step when I when I am around people. And I often miss the... What do I think of them, and how does this person make me feel? Step, and I jump straight to the: How can I make this pe- person like me, and how can I make this person feel good, and how can I make sure that I come across well in this situation? Yeah, and so I completely abandon myself for mm. wanting to people please. Anyway, yeah. so one of the things that I will never ever forget that has completely changed this career for me is that, like I said, this latest job that I um went for an interview for. And it was just a freelancing coaching position. When they were interviewing me, I said to them, not only did I say, I need to make sure that this job is right for me as well. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, terrified saying it. And I'm like, OK, we're saying we're we're expressing our own needs. Who are we? Um, (laughs) And then the thing that has always stuck with me, because they said, what type of workplace do you want to be in? And I said, I want to be in a place where I am not in a competition that I haven't entered. Ooh,
0: that's good.
1: My whole life, I have been in competitions with people that I didn't even realize I was in until suddenly they're behaving a certain way. And whether that's family, like immediate family, my mom or like certain friendships or like there was people at university who would say, oh, I'll I'll walk all over any of my friends to get to where I want to be. Yeah, And so it was this constant, my, what? whether what I did and whether... If I did something good, that would always mean someone else was upset.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so that pushed me down that route. That's why I stopped goal setting. That's why I found it really hard to strive for more. Because anytime I would do well, someone was angry with me or sad. So I'm constantly in this like mishmash conflict of, the the boomer generation want you to go on that upward trajectory that one percent better all the time that yes. constantly achieving making as much money as possible but then you're also supposed to make everyone like you and I'm like yeah. I can't do either anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't do I, it. I, I think you just gave me a little like Oprah aha moment here is like, right? Like we grew up in the 90s program for competition, get the good grades, compete in sports, go out there, get the college degree. Give your, you know, give 110% at all times. And now I think that so many of us are going to resonate with your perspective of not even wanting to set goals anymore. Why? Because we are fucking tired of competing.
2: I think think
0: that's what it comes down to.
1: You don't even have to say competing. I'm just tired. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That too. Yeah.
1: But no, Um, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, I think for women and, and anybody who isn't a straight white male, will relate to what I'm about to say is everyone in whatever category you fall into in life feel like you're fighting over that one seat at the table right
2: yes yeah
1: when actually we should all be fighting to have seats extra seats next to us for Uh. all of those other people so we can start seeing wider demographics coming in and actually making space for each other but we're in some like massively weird transition right now where there's like, I'd say probably about 40% of the world are starting to do that. But we're still fighting so hard against the other 60% who are a combination of massively privileged people and Mm -hmm. people who are fighting for that one chair.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, yeah, it's it's blown my mind to sit back and just observe in this new trajectory how things psychologically are sitting. And Yeah. yeah, I'd advise anyone to just sort of look at their workplace and go, Hmm. who's, who's pulling a chair up next to me for me?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we talked a little bit about this. So let's get into this now of what Gen Z is doing out there to change the story. And like we were talking about before we jumped on is like, thank God for Gen Z because they're over here teaching us how to set boundaries. And you talk a little bit about Elspeth of now that you're in this new career path as a fitness coach and working um, with a lot of Gen Z coaches as well of, what you're learning from them that, oh man, if we only would have embodied that 15, 20 years ago. So talk what that was like for you of like transitioning from going from freelance to now working with all these like Gen Z people that are actually there to support your growth.
1: No, stop because I'm so confused by it every day. And like <laughs> I'm like, when is one of you gonna bully me? Like
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm like, someone's surely gonna be horrible about my appearance or something anytime yeah. soon. It is <laughs> honestly been mind-blowing my first gym job was in a boxing gym over in it was in southwest London and the girl that hired me who was my manager was a 24 year old she was Canadian she was 24 and Canadian and she would moved over here on her own when she was like 18 I think and I suddenly had her in charge of me and I was like this is amazing like I I'm not scared of her This is a person in charge that what? And we've actually become really, really good friends. We don't actually work together anymore. We ended up leaving that place. We actually handed our resignations in on the same day because it was was run by a corporate head office who wanted our gym to run like a community space, but with a corporate kind of attitude. Uh And so they were driving us into the ground. So I feel like she taught me how I can feel respected and safe in a workplace. And I taught her how we get the fuck out of places that don't respect us. <laughs> yeah.
2: So
1: it's been really interesting. So she was my first experience of having somebody younger than me manage me. And it uh-huh. was a complete game changer. Yeah. And then I, after that, I moved to another gym, which has consequently recently also shut down. But for a whole other story.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
1: but I was managed by Gen Z there as well. Like a combination of Gen Z and Millennial. But... The type of millennials who have got yours and my mindset, the people who interestingly the millennials who were there were the ones on their second careers
2: mm, so you've got
1: a team of ten of us where you've got a manager and a head coach who are kind of yeah the head coach was gen Z manager, like a younger millennial,
2: yeah, and
1: then yeah then the rest of us are either gen Z or millennials who have completely reprogrammed their lives, yeah and so. I have never known, like we've reformed since the gym has closed and we've set up as a group of 10 to start running boot camps and put together something bigger because we are so heavy on the community side. And we've realized how we have a group of 10 people who support each other so much that Mm -hmm. I, it's genuinely blown my mind. And like I said, I'm waiting because I'm like, this would never have happened in any workplace when I was younger.
2: Yeah, it's just
1: people that want each other to do well and everybody who wants each other to make money and rise up together and 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 to feel supported so i think to see how gen z they're they're not necessarily aware of the the barriers they're breaking yeah but they're doing it so well
0: exactly and you, you so talked well. about that story, too, before we jumped on, too, of, like, how that Gen Z, I don't know if it was the manager or just a different uh, co-worker, but, like, they oh, were, yeah, the my head's head. were telling you how to set boundaries, um, which is, like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, man, but what happened here? Like, who, those parents, whoever raised Gen Z, what generation would that be? I guess Gen X. It's, like, they need to yeah. be writing a book right now and like. How do you parent in a way that your kids know how to set healthy boundaries for themselves?
2: <laughs>
1: Honestly, um, it, it's blown my mind because those that, so that person in particular that you're talking about, so she was my head coach at my, uh, the gym that just closed recently. And we, like I said, we're, I'm still good friends with all these people I work with and she, yeah, she's only 25 and to see
2: yeah.
1: her attitude, even just the fact that, um, that we had an issue at work and she pretty much sat me down and bear in mind, I'll be 34 in September. So we're we're like, bordering on 10 years apart and mm-hmm. she had to sit me down and tell me how to not take something personally for something else that was going on yeah. and how to put these boundaries in and how how you cope with certain types of misogynistic men in positions of power and I'm like how are you doing this at 25 I yeah, was just having exactly. a breakdown at 25
0: <laughs> like... crazy um and then what you guys this is the amazing part of what you're doing today you know not only are you experiencing more success than you had in the past 15 years of hustling with the freelance um side of things um and you've also gone through now this additional kind of reset moment setting you off on this new path and what i love that you're doing is what is going to resonate with i think so many people out there on that same path is like using your journey and using your passions to combine those things together to truly make a difference. And so talk to the listeners a little bit about what you're doing, not only just, you know, of course you're a fitness coach, but what I love about what you're doing is you're using exercise, you're using fitness as a way for people that have been through similar experiences and trauma to be able to heal as a form of therapy. So tell the listeners a little bit about like your model of fitness coaching.
1: So I my ethos is fully around exercise therapy, like everything that I want someone to get from what I give them is to be able to help them find a sense of identity in themselves. And I think mm-hmm. I guess you've made me have an Oprah moment where I'm realizing that actually it's probably because we've had such an identity heavy life that we don't necessarily know who we are in certain points. Yeah. And when I got more and more into fitness, I realized that I could physically connect with my own body and bring my brain back into my body. And I realized that actually a lot of our trauma, a lot of our childhood issues, or a lot of our work issues, or not knowing who we are, and, and starting these reset moments, we don't know what's going on, because our brain is disconnected from our bodies.
2: Yeah.
1: And when we can find something that helps us be present and move and find a sense of ownership over just our physical being mm. we start to forget about the fact that our value is rooted in anything other than the fact that we are just being I
2: love and that. so
1: thank you <laughs> and so i and i'll be super transparent like over the years i've been diagnosed with like multiple mental health things from anxiety and depression to ocd and complex ptsd and as of uh i think next month i have assessments to see if i'm actually autistic which would make a lot of sense of mm-hmm. looking back at things in my childhood and also the gifted and talented stuff yeah so um but obviously women present completely differently so it's a whole other minefield but these are all the reasons why Fitness has helped me personally. I went into it originally because I had gained like four or five stone when I'd gone on however many antidepressants I was on all those years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought at that time, I thought being skinnier would make me happy. Because mm. again, 90s, that's all yeah. they told us to be was make ourselves smaller and make more money. Those yeah. were like your main things. And The more and more I got into, I think I mentioned it earlier, yoga, then weightlifting, and then finding strength in my body, the more I realized that there was so much more to life than just trying to be smaller. And actually, I wanted to be bigger, and I wanted to take up space physically, metaphorically, literally, whatever. And the more I started to speak about my own journey, and this was before I'd even considered it as a career, I was just talking about it, because I like to express myself, I love connecting with people. Yeah. And... I suddenly saw so many more people resonating with what I was saying. And they were still people that were sort of trapped in that diet culture as well. Mm-hmm. And gradually, like one by one, I saw people starting to change their mindsets and reaching out to me saying, oh, I'm so glad you said this, because now I'm doing it this way. And and I had this thing when I first started posting where I would say brain first, body second, because that's yeah. what would trigger it in my head to sort of go right whilst we're at the gym. We're not looking, we're not body checking. We're just coming here for our brain. And then anything that happens to my body is a secondary bonus, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, as I said, pandemic kicks in. I get my PT qualification. I then freak out because I don't know how to set goals. And I panic at everything. And I cry constantly because I don't know what direction I'm going in. And then eventually I get that gym job and I start to see with boxing in particular, because I actually had my first boxing fight in at the end of 2021, I think it was. And mm-hmm. I nearly I nearly pulled out of that multiple times because again, that narrative, narrative of women aren't meant to do these types of things. Mm. And I realized that boxing gave me the same feeling that yoga did because you have to be so 100% in your body and every punch comes from the toe. It goes all the way up through the body. It's like a lightning bolt. It travels through everything. Yeah. And so if you are not fully present in yourself, you're going to punch real badly. Yeah. So you have to be there and you have to be in your body. So anyway, that made me realize going into this gym, I was suddenly training so many women and men, and I was able to teach them how to properly punch and use technique and how to use their footwork rather than Mm -hmm. just doing box like boxer size and... Yeah. You know how normally women's classes in particular are just like let's get sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like how about we just hit really hard properly. <laughs> so yeah. That's kind of the route I went down oh, I and then la- <laughs> and then last summer I got asked to run some sessions in an SEN school which is special educational needs. And I was able okay. to run some boxing sessions with some of the 16-year-old lads who had just finished their exams and some of them had ADHD, some of them had autism. And so for them coming off a timetable that they had been on their whole lives and that they had this strict routine, being able to give them something to help them have a routine, but without, and this is key, without any exam at the end or without any goal.
2: Mm. So it was
1: the first time that any of these kids would have been given something, which we should have had, which yeah. you, you can work on without needing to be good at it. You yeah, just need that's to huge. be there. Yeah, yeah. And so I started to see all these different avenues of life. I'm training everyone from 16-year-old kids with autism and ADHD to 50, 60-year-old corporate guys who think that they can punch really well just because they're a man, but they can't.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) you still got to train. (laughs) So I had this, like, wide array of people. Yeah. And then, as I've mentioned previously, we had our gym um, recently with our incredible team of 10. It was recently shut down because the owners of it treated us pretty badly and then they didn't pay any of their rent so yeah the whole and then we had a huge flood so it's been oh. chaotic that's why we've moved the podcast recording already yeah um and so we've like i said we've reformed as a team of 10 all of us have this same ideology of we're really heavy on the community after the last three years where we've all been isolated and we've all been kept from being a part of society yeah this gives people a safe place to be where every single ability every single type of person is so welcome and it gives them that pocket of safety right like I said we're not training for anything we're not doing there's no goal you yeah. can have a goal if you want right but there's yeah no, no goal other than just come and hang out have a nice yeah. time
0: done oh refreshing yeah
1: yeah <laughs> I love that I'm so glad you like it
0: um Elspeth, I, well, that, and I just love your journey too. Like you were just such a prime example of not only some of those subconscious beliefs that keep us stuck around, you know, the checklist, so to speak, but also just this whole idea that like, it's okay to try new things. And like you mentioned, right? It's like, if the one thing doesn't work, then either go on to the next thing or, hey, go back to the thing from before. Like realize sometimes that, you know, I know it's so true for me is that So many of those fears and those narratives that hold us back are not actually our own, like you mentioned. They are the voices of somebody else from our past that part of us is still stuck there. And when we allow ourselves to go back to that time and reparent ourselves to get ourselves unstuck from that spot in life, opportunities begin to just naturally appear. The intuition turns back on and tells you, hey, go this way. Trust the universe. Um, So the last question for you, Elspeth, is um, the millennial reset, you know, it's all about redefining success and happiness. So today, as opposed to, let's say, 10 years ago, how do you define success and happiness in your life?
1: Contentment. That's literally it. Contentment. Mm -hmm. Because everybody thinks that happiness is fun or or success is being rich or whatever else. But actually... We just need to find how to be neutral. So whenever, and what I mean by neutral, say for example, I'm having a reaction or a response to something, whether it's positive or negative. I try and drop into my body and try and understand whether I'm in neutral or whether I'm slightly off this gauge. Mm. And to me, success and happiness is when you can find an understanding of where your neutral lies and how to stay grounded and stay true and honest to what you're doing on your path. And making sure that that is what you see for yourself. Not necessarily; it doesn't have to be for the future. Because one thing that I've noticed massively, and this might help people in terms of people wanting to let go of previous careers. Mm-hmm. If I, I'm, I'm not the person I was when I was 16. You are no. not the person you were when you started in your corporate job. Mm-hmm. We would not choose those jobs now. And so that for me was a real rule of thumb of if you want to understand whether you're successful or you're happy in that exact moment, try and think about the person you are now. And if you had never, ever, ever done the thing in your life before, would you now do it? If that makes sense, the thing you're doing right now. And I think if you can sit there and say, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. This aligns with the exact person I am right now. Fabulous. But maybe if you're starting to think, hmm, there's something more here. You can start exploring and you don't have to do a crazy career jump. Like I said, with mine, I, I overlapped the two.
2: Right. Yeah. So
1: it's yeah. So I think, yeah, with your success, uh, yeah, it's contentment, just find contentment in whatever you're doing and peace. I just want peace. (laughs) That's all I want. Calm and peace.
0: Take the pressure off and just stop living in the past. Stop trying to predict the future and just be content with the present. Yeah, oh, so good. Um, so Elsp- Elspeth, I know that many others hearing your story are probably going to go and immediately follow you and try to learn more about you because you are freaking amazing. Um, so tell everybody where can they find you online, uh, website, anything good like that that we can share with our uh, listeners.
1: Firstly, thank you so much. You are also fabulous, and I have loved this. Oh, um, stop it. i so i'm on instagram and tiktok is at elspeth fit just f-i-t um well i should probably spell my name e-l-s-p-e-t-h it is a bit of a chaotic name but it's (laughs) scottish for elizabeth as we discussed prior to this Mm -hmm. um and also off the back of either of those accounts you'll kind of find everything else i do so i'll just leave it as that it's elspeth fit on tiktok and instagram
0: Perfect. And we'll be sure to post that um, with the podcast so people can find you and follow you and um, learn more about your journey. Um, But Elspeth, thank you once again for being part of the Millennial Reset podcast. Um, I'm just in love with your story and I'm sure so many others are going to resonate with it. So thanks again for your time. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of The Millennial Reset. If you like what you heard, be sure to share with all of your besties so that we can continue to grow this conversation. And you can always visit www.themillennialreset.com to subscribe to the podcast, learn about free workshops coming up, and become a member. Hope to see you next time on The Millennial Reset.